Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. God bless you, and thank you for tuning in. Today, we're going to conclude the series entitled Wilderness Man at the Jordan, a study of John the Immerser in Lesson 20, and the topic today will be ministry. Ministry. In this study, we have looked at many different elements and things concerning John the Baptist, John the Immerser, and his role in God's redemptive plan overall. We have talked about such things as the matter and how the whole thing is about God's redemptive plan. It's all about Jesus and John's part in bringing Jesus and introducing him to the world. We talked about the miracle how God had a perfect timing for the birth of John as the messenger to come before Jesus. We looked at the meantime, considering how John grew up, became strong in spirit, and was living in the deserts in the Judean wilderness near Qumran and the Dead Sea area until the time of his appearing publicly. We looked at the man who John the Immerser was and how he was an authentic priest descended from the line of Aaron. We looked at the manifestation, the appointed day when God let John know through the rhema word by the Spirit of God that it was his day to be manifest to Israel and to arise for his public ministry at around 30 years of age. We looked at the mission, his mission being to fulfill the voice prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, going before Jesus and preparing the way for him, as Malachi also said. We understood the message, understanding from Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3 and 4, exactly what this voice was to deliver to Israel and to say to them. We looked at the topic of matching, comparing what John's mission and message was, what it was supposed to be with what actually happened, as recorded in the Gospels with John. We looked at the messenger or mediator, who it was that John was preparing the way for and soon would be meeting at the mikvah of the Jordan River. Then we looked at the mikvah, the act of baptism and its importance and significance for us, but also in John's ministry for repentance to prepare for Messiah. We looked at the meeting, the day of the pivotal meeting between these two men, John and Jesus, and we saw the crucial importance in both of their lives that this meeting was. We looked at movement, where we discussed a transfer that occurred between John and Jesus and how it became extremely significant in both of their lives. We looked at Mark, meaning where and how God the Father made his approval known when this transfer occurred between John and Jesus. We looked at motivation, examining John's motives in accepting his pivotal role in God's redemptive plan and what he knew that would mean for him as he would now begin to decrease. We looked at motion, how John executed his pivotal role by influencing others through his pointing and motion toward Jesus. We looked at musing where we studied how John questioned when he was puzzled about how things were turning out and they didn't turn out like he expected. 
We also saw Jesus' response to his questions and the warnings that it contained. We looked at martyr, the eventual death of John at the hands of wicked King Herod, and the example that that leaves for us. We looked at menorah, where we saw one of the ways that Jesus affirmed John's ministry in positive and lasting ways because he was a shining light. And in the last episode, we looked at might. We compared John's ministry to the affirmations that Jesus mentioned, focusing on the specific Old Testament examples that Jesus compared John to, affirming his ministry as the last of the Old Testament prophets. So today in our final lesson of this series, we're reviewing those things briefly. We talk about what the Bible shows us of John, what it means for us, and the effectiveness of this wilderness man at the Jordan in God's redemptive plan. As today, we want to look at the fruit from his ministry. As we saw in recent lessons, John's work bore fruit and fit perfectly with all the prophecies spoken about him, even from his own father, Zacharias, in Luke chapter 1. We also spent time seeing Jesus' affirmation of this special man, as Jesus expressed several specific testimonies and confirmations of his work, including the legacy and fruit that it left. So today, I want to examine a few others and see how this stands as an example to us for the ministry God has called us to do. Remember, John was a hairy and a wild man, a wilderness man, had a special diet and even a special dress of clothing. He certainly wouldn't have been voted in his high school class, so to speak, most likely to succeed, most likely to win friends, most likely to win friends and influence people or to win praise. He probably didn't win any of those awards. He probably was more cast out from among the common people, so to speak. But he was a nobody chosen by God for a special work. He was just a nobody, so to speak. He was a priest of the authentic line of Aaron. He was a special man. He was the messenger. He was the voice. But all of those were God-ordained things that God had for him. Otherwise, he was just a common man, just like you and me, a common person. He was just what we might call a nobody. But God chose a nobody, so to speak, for a special work. And I hope, beloved friend, that this will encourage you because you and I are just common people, yet chosen by God for a special work in our day. So let's first look at what the scripture tells us about John the Baptist's ministry. Let's start out by reading in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, it says this, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. 
John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So this is early in John's ministry before he was imprisoned and martyred. And John bore witness of Jesus. And the people testified so. They said that in this passage. They said, you're the one that you testified to us about. He's also baptizing nearby and everybody's going to him. Remember, they said that we read earlier in these lessons in John chapter five, verse 33, how Jesus even affirms that John testified of him in John chapter five, verse 33. It says you have sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. So even Jesus knew that John did testify and bear witness of Jesus as being the Son of God, the Messiah promised of old. They testified also, the Pharisees that came to him in John chapter 3, and these religious leaders, that Jesus was with John, and that John introduced Jesus and pointed people to him. They testified that all people were now coming to Jesus and not to John. Exactly what John had said, exactly what John submitted to, was that Jesus would be increasing and John would be decreasing. In that passage in John chapter 3, we also saw John's point of view. In other words, nobody, he recognized that no one can do or receive anything, not even one thing, unless God in heaven has given it to him. So John is testifying, I was given an assignment, so to speak, from God. I have a ministry that was given to me from God. That's what I've been focused on doing. Oh, beloved friend, we need to learn from that, that whatever God has given to us, it's not our own. It's not from us, but it's been granted to us. And God wants us to focus on doing that ministry, on using that talent, that gift, whatever it is for his glory and for eternal fruit purposes. John verified that he told them he was not the Messiah, but was in fact sent by God to go before the Messiah. John attests that he knows his view is that he is only the friend of the bridegroom, kind of like what we would call the best man at a wedding. The focus of the wedding in that day was the groom and the best man, the friend of the groom had joy just at being included, just at being that best man, just at being that friend of the groom. So John is saying, my joy is full now. He is the Messiah. He has come. 
I've been able to see him with my own eyes. I can introduce you to him. That is my joy. He was saying, my ministry work is fulfilling when the groom is pleased. Boy, will that preach also. Our ministry work is fulfilling to us when we please the Lord. When our groom is pleased, it fulfills our hearts and grants us deep satisfaction and joy. John testified that Jesus would be increasing and he would be decreasing. And John was okay with that. He was even prophesying it right here. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. John says Jesus is from above and is all that matters and is above all. John realized he's just a earthly, temporal being of the earth. But Jesus is the highest. Jesus is the one that is from above. He preaches the gospel. Those who receive Jesus testify that God is true. John verified by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And those who believe will be saved. Those who do not believe are not saved and remain under the wrath of God. We need to understand, beloved friend, that when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, and mankind fell under the power of that sin, we then inherited the wrath of God. Every person that's born is under the wrath of God until and unless they put their faith in Jesus Christ, receive his atoning work from the cross of Calvary, and believe in him for salvation. And then is when they are justified by faith alone and acquitted of all of those charges and removed from the wrath of God and have the righteousness of God now imputed to them and their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So let's look at some others that attested to John's ministry and its effectiveness. Let's first go to Acts chapter 1, and we want to read verse 15 through 26. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his entrails gushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, to that day when he, meaning Jesus, was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And then it goes on and it talks about who they proposed and who they chose by the power of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Lord. So he attests to John's ministry here. And he says that the one that they chose had to be one that was with them from the beginning of the baptism of John in that day to when Jesus was taken up and ascended away from them. Acts chapter 10, let's look at verse 34 through 43. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, 
In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. So here again, we see Peter affirming John's ministry and the effectiveness that it had. Then in Acts chapter 11, let's look at verse 10 through 17. Peter is speaking again here. He has had this vision. In Acts chapter 11, Peter has had this vision from the Lord, the sheep coming down, unclean animals only. He's told that he's to rise and eat. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that because that's not kosher food. And the answer from heaven, from God says this, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Verse 10. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? So Peter here again confirms that John had a baptism ministry, a ministry of repentance, a ministry that was important and crucial. In Acts chapter 18, let's look at someone who was a fruit from John's ministry. John chapter 18, beginning in verse 24, says this, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, 
showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So Apollos had an effective ministry in the New Testament, but he was a fruit from John's ministry. It started with John. He started to believe and followed from John's baptism ministry. So Apollos was a fruit from John's ministry that became effective in the New Testament in days to come. So in that sense, John's ministry still lived on well beyond his years. In Acts chapter 19, I want to read verse 1 through 7. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. So here we have Paul meeting up with about twelve disciples in Ephesus, and Paul then attests to John's ministry and its power and effectiveness. These 12 men had originally been a part of John's ministry, and they had come to faith originally through the ministry of John, the baptism of repentance that was John's ministry. So here's another 12 people that are the fruit from John's ministry that then Paul was able to minister further and bring them into deeper things with God. So John was very pivotal and he brought change for the better. He was the last of the official prophets of old. He was attested by Jesus, and his ministry marked a brand new day for the kingdom of God. We saw that in the last episode when we looked at the scriptures that talked about how the gospel and the kingdom of God began to be seized and earnestly grabbed and pursued by people from John's ministry forward. The Bible defines for us the kingdom of God in Romans chapter 14. I want to read verse 16 through 18. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So here we see the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. John served God in these things and promoted those things to his followers. He was pleasing to God and approved by men. Even to the point that some did in fact mistake him for the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus is asking his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? In verse 14, the answer is coming back from the disciples. And it says this, So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
So even to the point that he was mistaken for Jesus, and Jesus was even mistaken for him. If you'll remember, Herod thought Jesus was John resurrected after he had killed him. John was effective also in teaching his own disciples things of the kingdom of God. One of those was to pray. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this, Now it came to pass as he, meaning Jesus, was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. John's ministry was from God. We find that to be true in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Also, maybe two-ish or so, two and a half years or so, possibly up to three, after John was martyred, Jesus then, in his final week before his crucifixion, he has this encounter recorded for us in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will likewise tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So Jesus here also is attesting to the effectiveness of John's ministry. In this passage, he is talking to the religious crowd, the leaders, and they would not believe him. They would not repent. They would not receive John's ministry. But common people, common sinners, tax collectors and harlots did believe him. They did repent and they did call upon the Lord. John was effective in his ministry in reaching various people that would receive him. And he was sent from God. Jesus attests to that even here. John's ministry was very effective. And Jesus and the apostles have attested to that in the New Testament. And we saw the transition from John to Jesus in both the priestly ministry and in the prophet ministry. John was the last of the prophets of old. 
and Jesus himself began to prophesy about his death, his burial, his resurrection. He began to prophesy about the coming future, his coming ministry, his coming kingdom. He began to prophesy. And so there was a transfer from John to Jesus in regard to priestly ministry and prophet ministry. Fruitfulness and effectiveness of John's ministry can also be seen in these passages as well. John chapter 10, verse 40 through 42 says this, And he, meaning Jesus, went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man, meaning Jesus, were true, and many believed in him there. Many in the area of John's baptism ministry attest and approve John's effectiveness because they now believe in Jesus, knowing that everything that John introduced them to about the Messiah, everything that John prepared the way for for the Messiah, everything that John taught them about the Messiah is true. And many believed in Jesus there. This scripture is also a proof positive of the effectiveness of John's ministry. Also, let's look at Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, I want to read this long section, verse 13 through 43. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, this is John Mark that is speaking of here. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hands said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus, after John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. 
men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, meaning concerning Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, meaning that he had died, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So in this long passage that we read, Paul and Barnabas attest to the ministry of John and to its effectiveness in preparing the way for Messiah and even his role in Messiah's ministry in God's redemptive plan in the good news. So what does all of this and this whole study mean to us today? Well, let's consider a few final points as we close up. John could have been considered to be like a nobody. That does not mean God didn't care about him, God didn't choose him, and he wasn't someone important to the Lord. But all I mean by that, he was a common person. He had no name that was well known. He had no fame. He had no reputation. He had no status. He was just a plain old Joe, so to speak, an average unknown person who loved his God and knew him in relationship. But God calls nobodies. He always has. Moses was a shepherd. He had had rage that overtook him. He killed a man, fled, fled into the desert in Midian, and became a shepherd, and God called him out of that and made him a mighty deliverer and shepherd of God's people for a season. David was a shepherd boy, made a king, even restored after murder and adultery later on in his life, still restored because he repented sincerely 
and we find his repentance prayer in Psalm chapter 51. God used Rahab in even the line of Christ and Ruth, a Moabitess, Asaph, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, was chosen by God. He was a nobody. But look in Jeremiah chapter 35. I have a Father's Day message on Jonadab and on his importance and what God accomplished with him and his children. Amos was just a sheep breeder, a farmer. Jonah, he was even trying to run away from God. Peter and the disciples, fishermen, a tax collector. Paul had been a murderer, a persecutor. Mary Magdalene had been demon-possessed before Jesus set her free and began to use her in ministry. John the Baptist, the wilderness man. All of these are people that had no real fame, no reputation. They weren't known as successful by the world's standards, but yet God chose every one of them. God used every one of these. And God still chooses people like that, an average common folk. He still does that today with me and with you. Each one of us have some assignment, some ministry, some gift given by God's Holy Spirit as the Spirit wills, according to Romans and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and we're to use that gift for God's glory. Our job is to fulfill our calling before God for His glory. We leave the results in God's hands. We leave the duration of our ministry in God's hands. Let's look at John's example for a moment. He was alone at the Jordan, baptizing maybe for months. His message was unpopular, but true. He remained loyal to God. He was faithful to the truth in spite of resistance. He was strong in spirit and he stood his ground. He was bold even to speak to the religious leaders of the day and to King Herod. He fulfilled his ministry even though it was short-lived. I would say probably no more than a year at best, but perhaps even as short as six to eight months or so. He began his ministry probably around six months prior to Jesus' baptism and the transfer that happened there, and then ministered for a short time after that before he was imprisoned and martyred by Herod. I want to leave you with these words of encouragement. Do your work. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, if you believe in Jesus, if you are a born-again believer and a Christian who has committed your life to Jesus, do what he has given you to do. Be fully committed to it, devoted to it, faithful to do it. Trust God for the results, for the timing, and for the duration of that ministry work he has for you. Whether it be short-lived, or long-lived. It's God's to decide. Be loyal to the Lord. Let him find you trustworthy and complete the work that God has given you to do. And know that God has not forgotten it, and it will be worth the sacrifice, worth the suffering, worth it all in the end. I want to leave you with a few different scriptures here as encouragements as we close out this session. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 says this, 
For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Remember that, brother and sister. Remember that, fellow believer. What you are doing, God remembers and God will reward. He is not going to forget it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's look also at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. In Second Timothy, Paul's very last letter that we know of before he was martyred for the Lord. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's just told us in the earlier verses that he knows he's about to depart. He's about to go home to be with the Lord. And he says, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And lastly, Matthew chapter 19, verse 27 through 29. The disciples, Peter and, and them, have just come to him, and they're wondering. They said in verse 27, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, beloved friend, we will not be forgotten by the Lord. Our work will be rewarded by the Lord. Our job is to do it and to do it with everything we have within us, with all of our might and all of our strength, being faithful as was true with Paul and as was true with John the Baptist. Let it be so with all of us too. John was not only a shining example and a light to bring others to Messiah, which was his primary purpose, but also he stands as a shining example to every believer of one who was devoted to his master as a willing, yielded servant, faithful to the end and leaving a legacy of fruit that remains even to us today. Let us do the same in our ministry. Let us bring and point people to Jesus and bring Jesus to people as John did also. I pray that this has been a blessing to you 
And Lord willing, you can join us again for additional messages and series from Covenant Truth Ministries. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.